Remembering is so important. Now I'm going to tell you something. I, I am a forgetter. I, I, I'm just a forgetter. I hate it though. I hate that side of me that forgets, that forgets names. Oh my goodness. I mean, I'm the person that's always trying to look at the name tag only to see the schedule for the retreat. It's like, no. I, I hate forgetting appointments. I hate forgetting birthdays. I hate forgetting the time, the date, what I'm supposed to be doing. No, I don't have Alzheimer's. I hate forgetting where I put the car keys. Okay? I forget. I hate forgetting to lock the doors or to close the garage. I can't even tell you how many times my neighbors have come to my house going, did you know your garage was open all night? And that's always when Brian's gone because he always makes sure that the garage is closed. Now that's all on me. I hate it when I forget that I did a load of washing and I remember three days later, just, just enough time to let them incubate and stink. I hate it when I forget to check the pockets for Kleenex and other things before I wash the clothes. Have you ever done that? Or for cell phones. That happened once. Because I hate it when I forget where I put my cell phone. For that matter, I hate it when I forget to charge my cell phone. And it's sitting dead in the bottom of my purse, doing me no good. But then also I forget where I put my phone charger. And I forget everyone's phone number because it's all on my phone. So then when my phone is dead at the bottom of my purse, I can get in touch with nobody but the answering machine at my house. I hate it when I go to the market and I forget my list. I hate it when I'm at the market and I forget to buy what I was supposed to buy and the reason I went to the market in the first place. I forget it. No, I hate it when I forget my way. I forget the directions. I forget what something looks like. I forget the ingredients in a recipe or a step in the recipe. Like, whoops, I forgot they weren't all supposed to be dumped in the pot at once. Forgetting is not only annoying and frustrating, but it can be problematic. For instance, when you forget an appointment, you often have to pay a fine. You annoy people. And when you finally show up the office, it's kind of like, mm-hmm, <laughs> didn't care about us or value us or our time or that we were here waiting for her and other patients could have been here. You can even get a reputation for being irresponsible when you forget. And it's so embarrassing just to show up at the next appointment because you know they know or the extra cleanup that you have to do because you forgot that that bag had a hole in it. I'll never forget the Christmas Eve. It was the first Christmas without my dad. And I was making my grandmother's famous, yet incredibly complicated cinnamon rolls. And my concentration was on the cinnamon rolls and on Christmas and presents and I had a vacuum going around my house, one of those, it was one of those um, knockoff rumbas, you know, the ones that are like $30 instead of 400 And I had the, mi the mixer going, creaming the butter and the sugar together. And I turned on the water to wash my dishes. And somehow, during all that mayhem, I decided to go upstairs and blow dry my hair not realizing that I had left the water running. And I came back downstairs and it was like that little knockoff rumba was like pushing bubbles all over my wooden floor that I had just gotten that summer. And it was like two inches deep. And I was thinking, at first it was like, what is going on here? Why, why are these, why is that rumba doing that with the bubbles? And then all of a sudden I realized that the water was like, just like, flooding. It looked like a tsunami in my sink, just coming over the edge. Ran over, turned it off, got every towel I owned, every beach towel, every towel, and I'm mopping it up and everything's drenched. I'm taking them out to the backyard 
and there's still water. I called Brian. I'm crying, of course. He brings a whole band of men from the church, and they've got these fans, and they're pulling up floorboards. It did. It, it ruined. It absolutely ruined the kitchen floor, but that's okay. I have a friend named Brian Overholt, and he replaced it. But I mean, it's just so maddening and so frustrating to forget. And who else is to blame? I couldn't blame anyone else. It was all on me. Brian wasn't even in the house. I didn't even own a dog. There was just nobody else to blame. However, beyond the annoyance and frustration of forgetting, there's also a danger of forgetting. Forgetting what you're doing can cause injury, like forgetting that you're driving, right? That's why they say, you know, remember, you're driving. If you feel sleepy, pull over. In England, if you go there, it's very um, important that you remember which side to look first and which side you're supposed to drive on. It's dangerous to forget that you left a candle burning or you left the gas on in the kitchen under um, a pot. It's dangerous to forget that your car engine is running. There have been women who are talking on their cell phone who closed their garage and have gotten carbon dioxide poisoning because they forgot that their car is still running. I don't know if they were blonde, just saying. There's a danger in leaving your house unlocked, forgetting to lock the doors now. But there's an even worse danger when men forget God. Because this lapse can have eternal ramifications. When Israel forgot God, and I'm just going to go through really quickly some of the consequences. In Judges 3 7, they served. Um, Judges 3, 7, they served Baals and fell prey to the oppression from surrounding nations. In 1 Samuel 12, 9, they were sold into the hands of hostile and ungodly nations. Psalm 78, because they forgot, they sinned, they rebelled, they tested the Lord, and they lost faith. In Psalm 106, because they forgot the Lord, they didn't wait for his counsel, and they were destroyed. In Jeremiah 3.21, because they forgot the Lord, they perverted their ways. In Jeremiah 13.25, they trusted in falsehood and believed lies. In Jeremiah 18.15, they burned incense to idols and stumbled in their ways. Jeremiah 56, 50, verse 6, they lost their way and couldn't find a resting place. No peace because they forgot God. Ezekiel 22 verse 12, they took bribes and practiced extortion. Ezekiel 23, 25, they bore the penalty of their sins. Hosea 2, 13, they went after other lovers. And Hosea 13, 6, they were destroyed. I just chose some of the highlights. There were, there were over, there were over, there were over 60 verses that talked about the dire consequences of when Israel forgot God. You see, God knows the danger to all of us when we forget. We lose faith. We become overwhelmed by our circumstances. We lose purpose. We lose resolve. We lose our way. And even as we were singing, we lose our identity. We forget who we are in Christ when we forget. But remembering can be so uplifting. It, it, it could be so joyous, like, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. I remember when the Lord did that. And it can, it can cause us to respond so differently when we simply remember. We think, wow, I've been through stuff so much worse than this. And God got me through. This is nothing compared to that. When I remember my granddaughter's heart surgery at five days old, I see her little scar, and she's just such a little miracle. When I look at my own children and how God, by his grace, brought them to himself, 
Remember, it could be so uplifting. I was on the computer the other day and I somehow went to iCloud and it had put all my pictures, it had categorized them and put them in these little movies. It was kind of cool because it was to music and it was like the story of Cheryl's life. And as I was watching it, I was so much younger, but I was seeing God's faithfulness. And Brian and I were like, oh, remember when we were there? Because a lot of pictures were of us together on these different trips that we had taken. And just God's absolute goodness, preservation, and power. And it was, it was so uplifting. You know, I was looking at him like, Brian, come here. Look at this. There are movies iCloud is being so nice to me right now. Is it any wonder that the Bible exhorts us over a hundred times to remember and not forget? It actually says remember and do not forget. In order to remember, I don't know about you, but I need reminders. Somebody will say, okay, we're going to do this next week. I go, would you mind sending me a text like just an hour before we're supposed to do this? Because I just, I'm thinking in so many directions at once that, like I said, I'm a forgetter. So I need timers because I'll forget that I put something in the oven or something on the barbecue. Just about, I think it was eight months ago, I posted this, this post on Instagram when I was barbecuing these skewers of chicken. And I thought it was so hilarious because when, when you saw it, it looked like it was just like these little shriveled blackened things because I remembered like, three hours after I put them on there, after the company had left that I was making the skewers for, I remembered the skewers. And it was, I just took a picture because I thought it was so hilarious. And you know what was so sweet? My friends on Instagram posted things like, no, she really is a good cook. You know, I've had her chicken before. She doesn't always burn it. I just thought, oh, my precious friends, they remember. I need alarms. Do you have to set alarm clocks? Do you have to, do you, do you need that to wake up? Or do you have to set timers even for yourself of, um, again, I need to go this at this time and I've got this much time to read? Phone calls reminding us of our pending appointments. Aren't you thankful for those? Post-it notes. May they never go out of style. I, I, they're like, but you know, here's the thing. I buy post-it notes because I need them and then I forget where I put them. Or memorials. Sometimes I make my own memorials. Everything that I need to take and put in the car and take with me for the day, I put right in front of that door. Like, you can't leave that door unless you take those things out. In fact, nobody's leaving this house until you remember those things. But then I take another door. (laughs) When we remember, we are able to respond appropriately. But when we forget, we respond according to wrong information because we have forgotten all the criteria. If you forget how to get somewhere, you will take the wrong turn. And I don't know about you, but like, I'm always trying to remember, okay, on this street, especially MacArthur, which lane do I need to be in to get on the freeway? And that's probably why they posted that big sign for me, like be in this lane. And that's the one thing about GPS. Tell me what lane I need to be in to get on the freeway or if you're in Santa Barbara, off the freeway. We also need to remember so we can resolve Make the right resolve, not only our response, but then our determination, what we will do. See, response is just kind of a natural reaction. But a resolve is a place that we establish ourselves in. Joshua recognized this. And in Joshua chapter 24, Because Joshua knew that the time of his death was so near. He gathered again the nation of Israel to Shechem, to a place of memorial, 
a place where Abraham built the very first altar to the Lord. Their great, 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 great grandfather had been in this place, built an altar to the Lord. And it was at this place that God told Abraham, this land is yours and to your descendants. There, Joshua reminds them first of their origin or their lineage, verses three through four. He reminds them that they did not come from nobility, but God called their great-great-grandfather. He was not perfect. He was called out from a family of idolaters. Their roots came from the other side of the Euphrates. They didn't deserve by lineage all that God had given them. You know, this became problematic for Israel because they often thought their rights were because of who they were related to, that that's why we have rights. And John the Baptist called him out on this. And he says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So we're just totally covered. We're okay. He said, because God is able to raise up from these very rocks children to Abraham. So he reminds them, it was God moving in Abraham. It was God making the promises to Abraham. Abraham was an old man with a beautiful wife and a tent. That's it. But God blessed him. God chose him. God gave him promises and descendants and the land of Israel to possess. It was all God for Abraham, just like it would need to be all God for them. God made them a nation in Egypt after Jacob and the patriarchs returned there. Joshua reminded the assembly of their deliverance from Egypt by God, verses five through seven. For their sake, God had plagued Egypt. God had brought them out with a mighty deliverance, putting darkness between the Egyptians and Israel so that the Egyptians could not touch them. That cloud that covered Israel came down and stood between the two so the Egyptians were not able to touch or get through to the Israelites. And to the Egyptians, it was darkness and obscurity. And to Israel, it was light. When the Israelites were incapable of becoming a nation or saving themselves, God intervened and brought them through the Red Sea on dry ground. And he drowned the Egyptians, their chariots, their army, and their horses in the sea. Joshua then reminds them of how God sustained them through the wilderness, verse seven. He tells them, you dwelt in the wilderness a really long time, 40 years. And they need to be reminded of this. Remember the wilderness Remember there was a deliverance. Remember there was bondage because now they've been in the land 30 years. They've established their habits, their routines, their lifestyle. And when you move to a certain place, you tend to forget the past and all you've come through to get here. You know, I was, I was born at Santa Ana Community Hospital Um, For the most part of my life, I lived in Costa Mesa, California. Then when I got married, oh, college, forget college. But after college, um, moving back, then moving down to Vista with Brian. We lived there for 13 years. Then we moved to England. And, you know, when I was in England, I felt like I lived in England all my life. When I moved back from England back to Orange County, it's like I never left. I've always lived here. And, And when I go down to Vista, I get lost. 13 years. And I can't even find my way to my old house to show people where I used to live. It's crazy. And so they needed to be reminded because they had been in this place for 30 years. And you know, this saying out of sight, out of mind. I don't know if that's true of you, but it is of moi. And I don't even speak French because I forgot it. But the years of wondering are forgotten amidst the duties of farming and life towns and houses and enjoyment and joy. But God had brought them into this land of the Amorites who had formerly possessed this land. 
Joshua reminds them in verses 8 through 12 of how God gave them victory on the east side of the Jordan against the Amorites over the curses of Balaam. God refused to hear those curses. God turned Balaam's curses to blessings. God delivered them out of the hand of the Moabites who Balaam was working for. He reminds them of their victory over Jericho, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Come on. You say those things quickly. But this is it. God reminds them of their victory over their enemies, over the curses, and over the kingdoms, and over nature. Because he says, I drove some of these people out by the hornet, and it wasn't because of your sword or bow, but because of me and my intentions as God. Joshua then reminds them of all that God has given them. Verse 13, the land that they did not labor for, the cities they did not build, the vineyards and olive groves that they did not plant. After reminding the Israelites of God's good activity in their lives, he calls them to respond appropriately. Verses 14 through 15, you see, he first reminds them because without these reminders, they might have the wrong response. They might say, well, what will the gods of this land do for us? They need to remember who they are, their history, and all they have so that they will respond appropriately. It is much like Paul beseeching the Romans in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He has spent chapters 1 all the way to 11, showing them the condemnation on the world and God's great mercy towards those who are in Christ Jesus and all that Christ has accomplished for them, and especially that apex of chapter 8, there is therefore no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul says, therefore, remembering what I've been telling you, your reasonable response is to give yourself completely, unreservedly to God. This is the appropriate response. Joshua also tells them that it's not only the appropriate response because of all God has done, but it's the appropriate response because of all God has promised. You see, settling in the land is not the end. And that's something else that we need to remember. That where we are is not the end. It's not the end. No matter what birthday you just had, it's not the end. It is just the beginning. God wants to establish us in the promises and then show others by our life. This is what the promises look like because the world needs visuals. They're so used to visuals. Think about it. Everything is visualized now, isn't it? Whether it's on your computer, you know, whether it's uh, a presentation, everyone's using visuals but me because I'm not computer literate enough to put animal faces up there. Besides that, if I did visuals, it'd probably just be all Barnabas, my dog, and that would be really sick. So God wants to use you as a visual. Once you get in the place, once you're in those promises, to show this is what God does to those who walk with him. In light of all that God does, what is their reasonable response? First, it's to fear the Lord. And, and when he's talking about fear, he's, he's saying to reverence the Lord, to honor the Lord, to recognize his greatness, greater than all other gods, greater than all the enemies, greater than all the odds, his goodness, his power, his grace, his generosity. This is not a God that you want to turn from. This is not a God that it is safe to try to negotiate with. Next, he says, serve the Lord. 
in sincerity and truth. Truly worship the Lord. No pretense, no laziness, no feigning or lying before the Lord. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried that in prayer. I have. Lord, I really love this person, but Lord's like, like, well, let's stop at base one. You don't love them. What? But Lord, did you hear how sweet my voice was when I talked to them? Yes, and that's your fake voice. Your children know that voice. It's that truth in the inward parts that according to the psalmist, God desires That absolute honesty. Lord, you already know my heart. There is nothing hidden to you. So I come to God in absolute honesty. And I serve the Lord. Now, when he's talking about serving, he's talking about God's way. He's telling these people, you can't serve God any way you choose. That's part of the sincerity and truth. First, it's a sincerity, but now we move to truth. You can't choose the way you're going to serve God. God says, here's the way. Here's the way right here that you can serve me. This is it. And this is the only way. And he set up one tabernacle, not many tabernacles over Israel, one tabernacle, because he was preparing these people that there would be one, one place, one way. One Savior, Jesus Christ, his son. Just as there was only one high priest who could offer the sacrifices. So there would be one son, one Savior. There's this preparing. You cannot serve the Lord just any old way you you want to. Well, I want to serve the Lord, but I want to call him Tommy. No, it won't work. His name is Jesus. Jesus. Yeshua, it's the same name. And that's the only way by which we can serve the Lord. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. She said, well, you know, you guys, you Jews, you worship in Jerusalem. We worship here, Mount Gerizim. And he said, woman, the time is coming when those who worship God must worship him in spirit and truth for God is seeking such you must worship God in spirit and truth there's no other way so he tells them thirdly to put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt remembering remembering how God fought for you remembering what God has done for you This is the only appropriate response. Why should I keep trash? Why should I keep useless things that can't do anything for me but might be a stumbling block for my children? Now, it's shocking to me as I I read this that they still have some idols, that they've still been holding on. Maybe not worshiping, but holding it as a backup plan. Well, if God doesn't come through... I've always got my idol. But he's saying it's time to fully and exclusively worship and serve the Lord. Joshua then gives them an ultimatum in verse 15. After this reminder of God's greatness, goodness, and generosity toward them, Joshua offers them a choice. It must be one or the other, but not both. You cannot serve God and your idols. One has to move. They can choose, option one, they can serve the gods on the other side of the river. They can serve the Egyptian gods, the Amorite gods, or the Chaldean gods that Abraham and um, his family, his father served, or the gods of the land, or they can respond and serve the Lord God who called Abraham fulfilled his word and promises, made them a nation, delivered them from bondage, drowned their greatest enemy, led them and sustained them through the wilderness, fought for them, brought them into the land, gave them houses, land, cities, vineyards, and groves. To me, it's a no-brainer. You know? Serve the gods of these defeated enemies 
of those who drowned in the Red Sea or serve the living God who has done all these great things for you? You know, I think of it kind of like a custody battle, you know, like you can live with your heavenly father who has done all these great things for you. Or you can choose the wicked stepmother. I'm sorry if you're a stepmother, you're not wicked. This one was, the worldly one is. Who is abusive, who ignores you, who never takes your phone calls. And really she's actually buried in a grave someplace. Which one? Joshua's resolve is clear. He says, as for me, here's his response. And his resolve, as for me. In my house, we're going with the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. As I'm looking at both options, I've already chosen the Lord, and so is my whole household. Then the people give their resolve. It's gone from a response, now it's a resolve. Verses 16 through 24, the people respond. Oh, first response. Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I love that. Far be it from us. We'll put them away. At this point, they're saying it's not even a consideration. These other gods, they're not even a consideration. We'll do it, Joshua. We want to do it. Far be it from us to go to those empty gods of the defeated nations. And then the people themselves recall the work of the Lord. Verses 17 through 18. It's the Lord our God. He's the one who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt. God brought us out of bondage. God did the great signs in our sight. God preserved us in the way when we went among the people we passed. The Lord drove them out before us. Joshua then reminds the people of the exclusivity of serving God in verses 19 through 20. He reminds them again. Again, this is the second reminder. You cannot serve the Lord and other gods. Because the Lord is a holy God. He is separate. He is set apart. He's unique. He's unlike any of the gods of this world. And the Lord is a jealous God. That word jealous actually means exclusive. It can be translated exclusive as easily as jealous. He's an exclusive God. Now, I hope that my husband, Brian, and I know he is, he's an exclusive husband. He is mine alone. And, you know, just because some of you are pretty cute, I just want to remind you of that. But I don't think you'd be at the women's ministry if you were after Brian. I know who those women are. We call them the casserole women. Because when the wife dies, they're the first one at the door with a casserole for the husband. My mom used to joke about the casserole women that would be lining up around the block if anything ever happened to her. But the Lord is an exclusive God. And Joshua tells him he will not forgive those who transgress or sin. Here's the sin. By turning away from him and serving other gods. Why? Because there is no blessing. There is no grace. There is no forgiveness apart from God. This is it. You're turning to emptiness and expecting God to bless the emptiness, to bless the idolatry, to bless the rebellion. He can't. There is no forgiveness. There is no grace apart from God. None. Now for the second time, the people declare their resolve to serve the Lord. First in verse 18, we will serve the Lord for he is our God. Now, second time, verse 21, no, but we will serve the Lord. It's almost like reverse psychology, huh? Joshua's like, no, I don't think you can. Yes, we can. I'm not sure of it. Yes, we can. Joshua presses the importance of their resolve and commitment in verse 22. He wants them to know the seriousness of the resolve that they're making. He says, you are witnesses. It is not a decision by coercion. It's not to be of the moment. It is to be reasoned out after remembering and considering the options and the benefits of each option. 
putting away the foreign gods, it's time to finally get rid of them completely so you can't go back to them. And then they are to incline their hearts to the Lord. In other words, their reliance, their first response is now to be the Lord, the Lord. You know, as you grow in Christ, one of the most awesome things is when your inclination becomes to pray. Something terrible happens and you go, let's pray. You know, or you could be my mom who would just be praying. We'd be like, oh, she's praying. She's not talking to us. You know, just that response. And that's what Joshua is talking about. That inclination towards the Lord. That when crisis or when blessing, when an enemy, no matter what happens, right away, it's to call upon the Lord. It's their first thought. It's their first movement. Now for the third time, in verse 24, the people declare, the Lord our God, we will serve in his voice. We will obey. Now Joshua creates another memorial because again, God knows we need reminders. Think of the memorials they already have, that they've already done on uh, this side of the Jordan, inside the Jordan, you know, in Gilgal, this side of the Jordan. But they also need the memorial of fellowship to be with people who remember what the Lord has done. They need the feasts of the Lord and to come back to the tabernacle at least three times a year to commemorate together all that God has done. They need the tabernacle, this this tent that has come all the way through the wilderness with them as a reminder of God's faithfulness and his presence and his reality. And they need God's word, those commandments, these physical reminders. So Joshua creates another memorial in verses 25 through 28. He takes a large stone and rolls it under an oak tree by the sanctuary of the Lord. And he announces, I love this. Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. Aren't stones interesting things? They seem so lifeless. Yet this one heard the words of the Lord, the declaration, the resolve of the people. It was a witness and it would be a memorial. You know, I think about, I wonder before the great white throne, if they'll, if these people be like, no, I lived a good life. All right, that's it. Roll the rocks in, bring them all in. And I think this is incredible because I remember when Jesus was making his triumphant entry. Remember that? In Luke chapter 19, and the Pharisees said, do you hear your disciples and all the multitude, what they're saying about you? And he said, yes. And if they kept quiet, what? The very stones would cry out. That's right. When I walk down the Mount of Olives, you know, I like to think, because it's kind of bedrock you're walking on now. I like to think, oh my goodness. Oh, what you would have shouted. What? what you're dying still to bear witness to and still cry out. Careful what you say in front of rocks. (laughs) The nation of Israel continued to walk with the Lord, we're told, after the death of Joshua, who was 110 years old, who was buried in the Mount of Ephraim, again, a memorial, because that was the very mountain that he told the other Ephraimites that they were to take, cut down the wood, defeat the enemy, and take possession of. That's where he's buried. After the death of Eliezer, the priest, who was buried in Ephraim, after the bones of Joseph are buried in the land allotted to him by Jacob, the very land that Jacob said, this is yours, I bought it, while I was living in Shechem, and it's yours. Another testament to the fidelity of God's word and work. And while the elders who outlived Joshua still lived, they remembered the works of the Lord and all he had done for Israel, and they continued to respond to the Lord and walk with the Lord as long as there were those who remembered, as long as there were memorials. 
It is vital that we remember, that we remember God, all he is, his character, what the Bible declares about God, because he's exclusive, because you cannot, you cannot add to his character and you cannot take away or diminish from his character. He is God, exclusively God, holy God. It is important to remember all he has done for you personally and all that he has done according to his word, because this testimony is our testimony. Because of all he has promised, because it's not the end of the story. There is still more to come, more promises, more glory, more blessings in the days ahead. Forgetting is eternally detrimentally detrimental. But remembering is not only uplifting, but it affects our response. Will we respond in faith or fear? All depends on whether we remember. It is crucial to our resolve. If we remember, we will resolve to serve the Lord. But if we forget, we will be tempted to serve the culture the pressures, and the gods of this land. In order to remember, we need to fill our lives with reminders. We need reminders because we are all prone to forgetfulness. In Revelation 2.5, when Jesus was speaking to the Ephesian church, and they looked so holy from the outside, And they were so righteous and they did so many things right. But the most integral, most important thing was to remember their first love. To remember God. To remember love. Love. You know, they had gotten so into the rules and the regulations. And they had gotten so into qualifying and disqualifying people that they had forgotten the first love, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like unto it. It's of equal proportion to love your neighbor as yourself. God puts them on par because if you do truly, as John says in his epistle of 1 John, if you truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will love your brethren. You just will. And if you don't love your brethren, It's a sign that something is disconnected in your love for God. It's this, it's this that they forgot. In all their desire to be right before God, they had forgotten the most essential thing. You see, we need these reminders. If the Ephesian church, a church that Paul established, a church that Paul wrote an epistle to, a church that was pastored by both John the disciple of Jesus and Timothy needed to be reminded how much more we need reminders. Now, there are those who think they can go without church. Obviously, you're not among them. But maybe you need to remind them that they need church, just like the Israelites needed the tabernacle. You need the assembly of God's people. You need fellowship. Peter says that without fellowship, that we'll start thinking that trials are strange and we're the only one going through such a thing. But you come and you fellowship and you find people who have been through the exact same thing. I was out at pastor's wife's gathering, senior pastor's wife's gathering. And the year before, a friend of mine had come and she was brokenhearted because her daughter had died. Um, from cystic fibrosis. Her daughter had defied all the odds, lived into her 30s, had two children, and they just expected that just to continue. And then her daughter had died suddenly, and she came so broken. This year, she came whole, and she sat next to, at our first meeting, this young woman. And this young woman said to her, Franks, did you have a daughter named Leah? And she said, yes, she's with the Lord. And the woman next to her said, Leah was my roommate in Bible college and one of my best friends. 
And I thought, you know, only God, only God can do something like that. The girl who was talking had come over all the way from Scotland. Isn't that just God? But fellowship, fellowship reminds us you're not alone. You're not alone. And then songs, there's songs. I love the way songs provoke memories. Some songs you're like, I remember. I remember the situation. I remember that. Or sometimes they just remind you right now in your circumstance, this is who God is. And this is who you are in God. And he cares. Hymns, which remind us of the doctrine of God. Christian books that remind us of how God is working in people's lives and how he's worked in our lives. God's word, of course. Of course we need the Bible. Journals. Journals are awesome. If you don't do a journal, that's okay. But if you do a journal, it's awesome. Some of you film everything. I think there's going to be like grandchildren that think that grandma has a, 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 you know, a rectangle right here on her face, you know, or over one eye at all times, you know, because of how we film our grandkids, right? We need these momentous, momentous. Not that we become hoarders, but I like to collect mugs and dish towels from the places I go. You know, that's my thing. I like, here's a dish towel. Here's a mug. Actually, Brian collects the mugs. I collect the mugs for Brian and I collect the dish towels for myself. And yes, I do use those dish towels. You might collect jewelry. That might get a little expensive, but that's kind of cool. But I love those conversation pieces where you say to someone, oh, I like your necklace, this necklace. This necklace. I I said that to a a woman just on Monday. I said to her, oh, I like your earrings. These earrings, they are made by this tribe in Africa. And she has this whole story of how they brought the gospel to this tribe and now how they're supporting themselves by making this jewelry and how they've been persecuted. And I mean, it was just this testimony. And I was like, is it safe to say I like your bracelet or not? You know, is that? And she's like, oh, now this bracelet is from the Philippines. And she was like a living testimony of what God had done all over the world. It was, it was pretty cool. I love those conversation pieces that are catalysts to remembering what our God has done. Even scriptures. Maybe when God has done something or fulfilled a promise to have somebody you know who's artistic, draw it out or write it out. Or if you find it at the sidewalk sale, to buy it and put it up. As an Ebenezer, hitherto the Lord has helped us. Because when we remember all that God has done and compare it to what the world offers us, we have only one response and one resolve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I have found that when I am scared, overwhelmed, or grumpy, I must consciously recount God's personal involvement in my life even going back as far as the testimony of my mother's salvation and my father's call to the ministry. I need to remember, remember. And when I do, it affects my response, how I respond to people, how I respond to situations, how I respond to fear. It affects my response and it absolutely affects my resolve and how I order and what I do with my life. Let's stand up together. I would urge you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, because he came and died on the cross, that you might have forgiveness, that you might have all the promises of God, I would really urge you to serve the Lord. So say back to me, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know if you can do it. God is an exclusive God. You're going to have to put down those idols. Amen and amen. Some of you are really good. You know, some of you are like, "Eh, whatever you want, Cheryl. Some of you are really good. 
you know, awesome. Lord, here you are. Here are your girls. You love them so much. And they've got a history with you. These are the called. These are the anointed. You called them out of their own Egypt. You brought them through their own wilderness. You fought their enemies. You established them. You gave them gifts. And you call them your chosen your beloved. And Lord, they have responded to that. And they have resolved to worship you and to serve you exclusively. Will you establish them? Will you bless them? Will you keep them? Will you hold them tight? Will you send constant reminders in their life of all you are? And all you have done for them. And all you will do for them. May the Lord bless you. May he walk before you. May he send hornets against your enemy. And clear the path. That you might be established. May he establish you. In all his promises. May he give you even more promises and more encouragement and more fulfillment. May he open your eyes as they've never been opened before to see his glory, to feel his love, to know his presence and to recognize his presence in the room and for you. May you feel his presence in the car. May you feel his presence in the kitchen. May you feel his presence on the road. May you feel his presence while you lay down on your bed. And when you wake up first thing in the morning, may you hear the words, you are mine and you are beloved. And I am for you and not against you. May you feel his presence in the living room. May you feel his presence every time you walk into church. May God give you armloads of friends that become family in Christ. May God meet your every need with his riches in glory. And may you know that you know that you know that the Lord is for you. May he bring all the prodigals back to himself. And raise them up as spiritual leaders and evangelists to this next generation. May God be God and do what only God can do because of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.